<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We all seem to know someone who always seems to be smiling, happy, content, grateful even. And when they walk into an office or even a gathering, they seem extra cheery. For some, it can actually be unnerving. We see their smile as a shit-eating grin. We think they must be faking it, putting on an act to mask their real emotions and pain. I mean, let's be honest, who really is that happy? Is it actually possible? Are we so numb to people talking about feeling anxious and stressed and depressed that we just expect that to be the norm? Has status quo become about surviving rather than thriving? The truth is, there are people out there who are genuinely happy, who see the positive in life, even during difficult times. There are people who have constant compassion and appreciation for life, who find it easier to smile than to frown, and who have the ability to spread their joy and their light to others. I'm actually sitting with one of those people right now, happiness expert Kathy Donovan. Now, it's not that Kathy, a former TV personality, sees rainbows and unicorns all the time. In fact, at one point in her life, Kathy called herself an unhappiness expert, very familiar with shame and doubt, fear, and all the things that hold all of us back from feeling good. But the reality is, she changed her reality, and she has some wonderful stories on how you can do the same. Inspiration in Action, A Woman's Guide to Happiness is one of her books, along with Harnessing the Radical Power of Courage. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And as always, for more information, you can head to extensionmarketing.com. Kathy, look, she's smiling already, <laughs> and she's got a contagious laugh. Yeah, we're in for a treat. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. Thank you for that very kind introduction. I love that you mentioned that I was an unhappiness expert for many years because, you know, when when you talk about what Simon Sinek calls our why, why do you do what you do, that's mine, is to help people um, navigate out of that what I call misery, which was my life, to see that there's way more possibility for you Mm -hmm. if you unlearn what you think you know to be true. All right. Because you just mentioned the word misery. So that just words stuck out for me just now. And yet when I would see you in an office on television, you Mm -hmm. know, about doing your business, I never would have said or associated misery with with what you were. When you knew me, that was not who I was. It was my real youth. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up as a child, I did not, unfortunately, have a carefree experience. I had a burdened experience. My parents, uh, and I believe the reason for it was my parents had lost two babies before my sister was born. That's back in the 1940s when <sighs> all you were told was to get on with life and go have your family, which my mom did. Um, but undiagnosed depression is a thing. And I believe that's what she and my dad had to cope with. And many people at that time had to cope with without being able to name it. And if they did, there was shame in it. And there certainly wasn't the opportunity there is today to go get help. So my or mother to have support, to or have, to have support, yeah. an understanding that this is actually a lot more normal than, than we think, but to have two Two. 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 And then my sister's born and she's this beautiful, 
beautiful little baby. And she grows up to do everything my mother told her because my mother operated from fear, of course, that she was going to lose more babies. And so her, her, uh, her viewpoint was fear overprotection, negative feedback, because that controls you. And she was just doing her level best to try to keep us all safe. Um, and I believe today that was her intention. Although at the time it was H-E double toothpicks for me. <laughs> it was horrible because I was a very curious kid. I wanted to touch everything. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to try to understand my world. And as I navigated, what I interpreted was it's not happy. I'm not happy. I wasn't getting my needs met in the sense that I didn't feel valued. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like I mattered. And if there's anything a parent gives their child, it should be that, that their child feels they're, they're worthwhile and that, that they have something to offer. So I had this idea when I was young to be a broadcaster. My father worked in public relations for Canadian Pacific Railway, and all the people he hung out with were alcoholics because that's what they did. They All the media guys came to these gatherings because there'd be free drinks. My dad was right in there with them. And to palliate his pain, that's what he did. So he was an alcoholic. So that's the kind of culture I grew up with, a mother who was terrified and so was not very nice. And then my dad, who was the sweetest man you've ever had the opportunity to meet, but was suffering. So he palliated with alcohol. And us three kids trying to figure our way through life, you know, so when I got to be a teenager, I looked for love in all the wrong places. I didn't feel good about myself. I had zero self-esteem. It was when I really got into what I felt was my calling that I couldn't tell my family about because they didn't support it. My parents didn't want me to go into broadcasting because you're going to be an alcoholic is what's going to happen. The familiarity of, of your dad hanging yeah. out with the people in the newsroom right. Right after the shifts were coming. Yeah. So, no, you're not going to be a broadcaster. That's a bad idea. You're going to be a secretary. And not that there's anything wrong with being a secretary, but I had a burning desire to share with other people that they're not alone. I felt so alone as a kid. And the one gift I should mention that my parents gave me, when well, they gave me many gifts, of course, but uh, when I was about eight years old, we were living in St. John, New Brunswick, and one of my dad's colleagues who worked for a radio station was starting a children's radio program. And she said, would your daughter like to be part of it. My father said, well, yeah, because she just, she's, she has no self-esteem. So I went to this radio studio, not unlike this place we're in today with no windows to the outside where we told stories and we sang songs and we were paid in candy at the end. What eight-year-old wouldn't thrive there? So, but also it was that idea that I was seen, heard, valued, and appreciated for my contribution to the show. And I got to award a babysitter a watch because she helped kids get out of a house when there was a fire while she was babysitting. So I learned about public service. I learned about recognizing when people do the right thing. I was eight years old and it planted a seed that really I had to be courageous, but started my broadcasting career because I wanted to do for other people what radio did for me. I wasn't alone and I wanted to help other people see the same thing. Okay. But you're eight at this point. You're eight years old having I was eight, this yeah. experience. Yeah. And I'm still thinking that you still had eight to yeah. 18. Till 20, till <laughs> you know, 24 that you're was when I mm -hmm. sort of started in broadcasting. I couldn't tell anybody what I wanted to do because who would think I'd be able to do that? I was always told I was not smart because I was so emotionally 
um, mired with all this emotional baggage in my family, I wasn't even a good student. I couldn't learn because I had too much in my brain about what was going on in my life that I couldn't share with anybody. Because the other thing my family was all about was there are home secrets Mm -hmm. and then there are things you just don't tell anybody ever. And that was, you know, so I didn't know other people had alcoholic fathers or lost babies or I didn't know anything about anything. What was the relationship like for the siblings? Because you just mentioned there were three. There were three, yeah. So your sister was... was Born. My sister was born. She did everything my mother asked Mm -hmm. her to do. She was, quote unquote, air quotes, the good girl. Mm -hmm. My brother was a rebel. He was really um, doing his level best to be himself under the tutelage of my father, who couldn't be his best self. And so my brother had some challenges uh, with my, especially my mother, really tough time. And then um, none of us really were like, it wasn't no. like we were all because we all had our own baggage. Right. But sometimes you feel it's almost like you, you're able to form no. an alliance. No, right? A lot, really. Oftentimes you sometimes have that, right? The siblings yeah. that they, they form their alliance. Well, my and, brother and I did mm-hmm. because my brother, even today, my brother had and my sister did, too. My sister passed away when she was 67 or eight years old, sad, eh? Um, but because she had always done what she thought she was supposed to do, she didn't get the memo that you got to live your life the way you should live your life, which is another reason that I do what I do today. But uh, my brother and I were always there for each other in a funny way and we still are today um you know I feel like at least somebody saw that I struggled not that he could help me really but at least just seeing me and me acknowledging acknowledging it yeah there was a pain there was some suffering uh, behind the facade yeah right right? yeah so you get through high school despite not being the strongest student I would say the other gifts my parents gave me was they sent me away to convent what? So I went to the convent. <laughs> I know. I did not read up on it. You went to a convent? I went to Queen of Angels Academy. And I lived there during the week because I was such a discipline problem. And I failed grade eight because I was not a good student. And my parents said, okay, that's enough. Like, we got to do something. So they shipped me off to the Sisters of St. Anne. Thank God they did. Because I, I like to say I was raised by nuns. They helped me turn my life around. And become a leader instead of a follower, which I was when I was young, because I had no, I had no true north. Was there uh, a nun that had an impact on you, or oh, that that softened? Just got the shivers all the way up and down my body. Sister Rosalina, uh, my grade ten uh, English teacher, saw something in me, and. Um, some of the other teachers would be just critical of my lack of ability, uh, where she helped nurture and helped me feel like I had something worthwhile to offer. So she encouraged me to the point where I won an essay writing contest in grade 10 for the Civitan Club or something. And by grade 11 at Queen of Angels, I was class president, believe it or not, and vice president of the student council. I was also the friggin' homecoming queen at um, the carnival we had mm-hmm. in the wintertime. So life really had turned around, though I didn't, I couldn't say I was confident. But when I started to work on my true mission in broadcasting, that's when I started to really be able to nurture confidence because I listened to myself. I stopped listening to everybody else whose voice I thought was more important than mine. And I recognized my voice was the only one that mattered. Were you able to do that in the writing? Like, were you able to write, you know, when you talk, like, you know, if you're winning essays, like you had an ability to write as you need to in broadcasting, Mm -hmm. right? But could you see your voice coming through in the writing? No, 
no. new. That's only happened. Honestly, that's only happened in the last seven years since I left my job. Because part of the challenge is that when you uh, align yourself with a company, you agree to be an ambassador for the company, you operate in a certain way. And I was honestly so blessed. I was with CTV for 24 years, but the last 14, I worked with Joel Haslam doing regional contact. I learned about writing the stories that we told. And the wonderful miracle for me was Joel was very aligned with how I operate. It was shocking because every other person I had worked with or come up against had been tough. Like, I guess I needed that toughness to help me not be such a softy because I really am such a tender hearted person that you need to, we all need to have a tough exterior, but we want to keep the inside nice and soft and tender. So Joel was a perfect partner for me because he's very loving and kind and we helped each other through, you know, mm -hmm. just like a really great relationship. And when I left CTV, then I was launched into my life as an entrepreneur in, I feel, a really powerful way because I knew I had abilities I hadn't acknowledged or couldn't acknowledge before. How I had always been there, but mm -hmm. I just couldn't really acknowledge them. But it wasn't like it was an overnight, uh, you know, leaving the world of broadcasting and then there was an immediate like, okay, I've got this whole other life oh God, that I'm no. ready to, you know, uh, there's a transition. We, you know, I was talking, we, we were talking before, you know, we, we came on after 20 years of me working in the broadcasting, you know, you think you have this idea of what you think you might want to be doing yeah. and it's not a straight line, but it's, <laughs> it's good a to zigzag have, up, down, circular, course. you know, it's, it's not how you foresee it actually happening. But it's like anything, Leanne, you know, and, and. And, and by the way, congratulations on making the leap because, you know, it's, it's easier to stay in something, you know, that's predictable and feels quote unquote air quotes again, safe, mm -hmm. which it's not, it's just not in my case, I planned, I started about a decade before I left CTV to work on what I'm doing today. I started laying the foundation. I had what I call a burning desire. Same way I had the burning desire to help people feel they weren't alone, which was my why when I became a broadcaster. My thing was, we need to know that we're important and we matter. Human beings, many of us do not know that we are important and we matter. And we don't know that our dreams and desires are important and they matter too. So that kind of became an underpinning for me in the last 10 years of my work at CTV, I had a, I actually had a research group going and we'd meet once a month and I'd present these wacky ideas to these women and say, what do you think? We'd discuss and they'd, I'd give them homework and they'd go away. And okay. I'm sorry. What are some of these wacky ideas? Well, the, the, what, are, what I write about in my books. So I started off with, what do you think about this idea of gratitude? What do we appreciate? What are you grateful for? And, you know, lots of people write about this stuff and we talk about gratitude like it's important, but do we really practice it? Is it really the underpinning of your life? It's interesting because you're telling me that you started having this discussion like 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, before then. So, yeah. so even before then, when gratitude wasn't a no, buzzword wasn't back then, thing, right? Like yeah. we talk about gratitude, mindfulness yeah. now yeah. and it's more mainstream, but yeah. I'm thinking when you started well, talking crazy. about this... It was a little woo-woo back yeah, then. Yeah, she's crazy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's why I kept it to myself. <laughs> I, because, you know, same way I did with my broadcasting career. I couldn't tell anybody. They'd look at me and say, are you crazy? How's that? Connect the dots for me here. There was no way anybody would ever have been able to connect the dots for me as a teenager to what I achieved. So, 
you know, very often we underestimate the value of that inner voice that says, do this, Leanne. So when you just decided to take that courageous move, bold move, and say, I'm going to leave my job to go do, I don't know what yet, (laughs) but I'm going to do that. That was kind of the same thing that Mm -hmm. I did. I didn't know what it would look like, but I knew I had to do it. And I knew that my happiness depended on it because it was uh, the deadlines we had for regional uh, in its original format, half an hour show once a week. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. There was more work to do than the company allowed us. (laughs) So we were always working overtime, always doing more. And I worked with such dedicated people that they did it kind of for free. And I thought at a certain point, really, is this how this exchange works? I don't think so. So for me, it just became, there's so much to do here. When the company wanted to change their business model, they said, look, if you don't want to do what we have in mind for you, you can take a package. I was like, that's my seed money for the next chapter. And I actually went home that night and said to my husband, I think I'm leaving my job. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) And we did the numbers and I figured out, you know what, I could with the seed money at least get started to figure out what was happening. And you're quite right. It, it is, you know, with all the best of intentions, we think, oh, that's easy. I've got, I've got a following. I've done this for years. This is going to be a no-brainer. Plus, everybody needs what I've got. <laughs> and that's, to me, today is the most laughable piece. It's that sweet naivete that gets us as entrepreneurs to embrace the idea that we can work for ourselves. Then the hard work begins. Yeah. When you have to get clarity about what the heck are you doing? What's, what are your values? What's your vision? What's your mission? Who's your ideal client? And then to start to serve those people with your values in the best way you can. And when you work alone, it's hard. Well, especially when you're used to working with a group of people, yeah. right? You had Joel, you had, yeah. you know, you were producing, you had camera people, you yeah. had editors. Yeah. It was a, it was a group project. Team effort, yeah. uh, it was a team mm-hmm. effort. Uh, and then you go and you're, you're sitting, <laughs> <laughs> you're sitting by yourself. Yeah. You this know? is fun. Yeah. This is fun. So yeah, it's taken me, uh, this is year seven and I feel that, you know, not one second has been wasted. And I'll, if I have any advice for you a year two into your uh, adventure, no time is wasted. It is really a process in a way. I like to think of it as a winnowing because you start out with all these options and ideas and, you know, great ideas. And then you have to sort of choose one <laughs> and start to work on that one thing. And if that's the right thing, it'll show up for you. Right. And if it's, but not, it's not, the problem is, is when you start on other projects and you go and you get into it and you go, this doesn't align Right. with me. And right. so it's like you, you, you put the effort in and then you go, no. And nope. then you start backtracking and then you go a different way. And then it's like, this still doesn't align and you backtrack. It's, it's a very difficult thing. And the thing is, is I was watching what you were doing and looking at how it, you know, it's tough when you do the comparison, right? Because Ooh, you, you never know where other pre- people <laughs> are in their journey, yeah. right? Yeah. But we get stuck in that. And I'm sure you've, you've dealt with a, a number of people now who get stuck looking at a social media or looking at what others are doing mm-hmm. in comparison. And je- like it is overwhelming what's thrown at us to try to stay. You know, you can get up in the morning and, and do your gratitude journal and be positive, And then an hour later, you're scrolling through your Facebooks and your social media. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, Every little piece of it's just like, yeah, it's like this balloon that just deflates, right? Okay, so so this is a great opportunity for me to share a very important lesson with you that I've had to learn. And, and, and 
it's coming for you, I promise, but it may not be there today in clarity. Um, this whole comparison game is very tempting until you find your lane. When you find your lane and what your thing is, your values, vision, mission are clear, you're, you know, you're attracting business, things are aligning with who you are because now for you same as for me it's about alignment not ambition and the concept of comparison sounds like ambition to me and it is the thing I'm very allergic to because what's aligned for me may not be aligned for you or even somebody who's in the same stream of business I'm in everybody has their own thing there are so many voices in the choir I'm in it's hilarious but we're all different and mm. that's the beautiful thing I have no competition because nobody can be Kathy Donovan. I have my own thing. I got my own why. I got my own audience. I got my own stuff. That's why I don't, I, I'm happy for people now. I'm so happy for them to have found what works for them. And, and the idea that one of the things I talk about in this appreciation mindset is that when I appreciate what somebody else is doing, there's a simple law of attraction. It's an energetic law. It's a law of the universe, a secondary law of the universe that what you focus on is going to expand in your life. So if you're focusing on celebrating somebody else's win, guess what? That energy is going to come back to you. When we're in that lower energy, we just haven't quite got to that place where we found our thing. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's just I would process. say most people are stuck there. Right. And most people don't even know right. that they're stuck. Yeah, right, right. Because it's familiar. And, and we think that's the status quo. That's the way things have to be. Well, what I do requires that you have to make an effort because the only thing you're in charge of in your life, and I mean the only thing you're in charge of, are your thoughts. Period. So how you think about yourself, what you think about other people, how you speak to yourself, how you speak about other people, that all has an impact if you think about how the law of attraction works. You want to be focused on what you want having relationships that are aligned with what you want and recognizing that your values, vision, and mission, your dreams and goals are all as important as the next guys. When were you aware of how important your thoughts were? Like when I started to study this stuff and I, uh, I've been a student of spirituality, philosophy, I, I, you know, I was raised by nuns after all. So I'm very interested in that spiritual side of life. I'm not a religious person, but I am a very deeply spiritual individual. And all that refers to is the non-material aspect of life. It's not anything more than that, but thoughts are that thoughts are energy. Everything is energy. So when we talk about quantum physics, that's a super important, powerful uh, prospect when you think about it from a scientific viewpoint. But I read that book way back when it first came out called The Secret. And The Secret promised to have you think about something and have it appear kind of like magic. Uh, it made it kind of sexy and, and millions of people around the world embraced this idea because we all wanted to think the best. We all wanted to imagine that if we really wanted to win the lottery, we could. What The Secret didn't share is that if you're not available to receive what it is you're asking for, it won't come to you, honey. It can't come to you because you're not available. That's why I teach this idea of appreciation, having courage instead of allowing fear to run everything, because that was my modus operandi as a little kid. Fear ran everything. I learned it from my mother, my best teacher. And I had to learn myself that it was courage that was going to be my superpower. 
to be aware of it is one thing Mm -hmm. to be able to implement it and to reverse the negative thinking or to reverse fear. I mean, interrupt it. Don't reverse it. Just interrupt it because we all have it. We are wired for safety as human beings. Our brains are wired to keep us safe. And I like to say to keep us small. So fear is a powerful force in our culture. If you look at North America and how we are run, how we are manipulated, it's fear that controls everybody. So it's it's not everyone that will turn to courage when fear pops up because it doesn't it's it's work. <laughs> it's easy because the status quo is everybody's afraid of everything. So if you're not going to be afraid that you're weird. Uh, but that's the way to interrupt that pattern so you can have a better life and so that you can grow and expand your possibilities. You have to be courageous. We're going to come up with a, a number of different words because we've had fear and yeah. courageous and spiritual. Mm-hmm. When why, when I introduced you, I had happy, right? Yeah. You had this happiness yeah. expert. How did that like evolve in itself? I mean, you're starting 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, having these, you know, sessions with these women <laughs> in, you know, in dark alley and, and throwing out these ideas. But how did it all kind of come around that happiness expert would mm-hmm. become almost that title. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'll define what happiness is for me, and that might be helpful. Happiness is not, de- my happiness is not dependent on anyone or anything outside of me. Happiness is an inside job. You've probably heard that said before. And it's reliant on how I manage my thoughts and it's reliant on how I operate as a person. So the bottom line of my life is appreciation or gratitude. I appreciate even the tough things that happen because I know I'm going to learn something from that. I don't ever say, why is this happening to me? I say, what can I learn from this? Because I can use the information I'm going to get from that question. Whereas why is this happening to me is sort of a victim mindset and there'll never be an answer. But you can tell that story over and over again and get lots of sympathy from people. So that feels good. So I'll stick with that. But to actually interrupt how we operate um, and choose another way to be courageous instead of allowing fear to run you, to surrender the stories. See, for me, I had so many stories, Leanne, that were kind of the foundation of my life. Like my mother was mean. I even used the B word often when I was younger. My mother was a biatch and I thought, oh, come on. At a certain point, I got help. I went to therapy and I learned in therapy the best lesson of all. My parents did the best they could, period. So then what was I going to do with that? It was up to me. So I started to surrender the stories that don't serve me. My mother really wasn't that. She was a a person who suffered and struggled herself and passed that on to me. Is it mine? The answer is no. It was hers. So I had to interrupt those patterns, surrender the stories that don't serve what I want if I know what I want. I had to get clear about what I wanted. Right. I was going to say that's that right there. What do you want? Clarity about what you want. I know exactly what I want and I can tell you. I want abundance, beauty, joy, love, peace, prosperity, and wellness. That's what I want. And so everything I do and say has to fuel that because that's what I want. 
We get to what we want by looking at what we don't want, because often what people can tell you what they don't want. It's very easy to tell tell us to explain what we don't want, but it's very hard for us as humans to mine underneath that. If I say, I don't want to feel lonely, look at the feeling part of it. I don't want to feel lonely. Well, if you don't want to feel lonely, then what do you want? You want to feel connected. So then you can start to take steps toward feeling connected. But when you say, I don't want to feel lonely, you're actually just asking to stay that way. You're not doing anything to further what it is you really want. So we have to get underneath the the random thoughts and ideas that are delivered to us on the regular. They say, I don't know, 80 to 90,000 thoughts a day roll through your head. Most of them are not nice. Most of them are not kind. You've very rarely given yourself a compliment about anything. It's true. So in addition to gratitude and courage and surrendering the stories that don't serve us, I also talk about um, kindness and compassion being our superpowers because we need to learn, especially in the climate we live in today, to be more compassionate toward ourselves first. We're so hard on ourselves. And you brought up the example of looking at other people's social media feeds. We have to know. People are curating their feeds. They're they're using filters on their photos. It's not really the truth. And what stands out for me online are people who are authentic, who show me who they really are. Those are the people I want to associate with, sorry, because those are the people who are aligned with who I am. The rest of it is entertainment, period. So when we practice with compassion for ourselves, I had to learn that because working in television, I mean, I actually had some guy come up to me at the exhibition when I way back said to me, you're too short to work on television. (laughs) And I thought that is the weirdest thing to say to a human being, like whatever. But I had to figure out something because I thought if this comes up again, I got to have a smart remark back. So it did come up again. And so my line always was, well, you have to be small to fit in the box. Mm. But so, I, you know, it's not personal to me because it's not about me. Those comments are about those people and how they operate and what they think. I had to make it so that they'd smile and we could let it go. So practicing compassion for myself and then everybody else. That's key. That interrupts the judgment piece because we are so wired to judge. I used to be really good at all these things, by the way. I was really hard on myself. I could judge other people very easily. And now when it pops up, I interrupt it and I go to compassion. Can I ask how you interrupt it? You've mentioned that word. I interrupt the thought, right? And so, you know, I've, I've talked a lot a bit on this podcast because about probably like eight months ago now, I started meditation. Good for you. Because it was like, and and that has been the game changer for me, right? But when you talk about interrupting your thoughts, Mm -hmm. a lot of this comes back to coming back, you know, coming back to the awareness of the thoughts. So when you say, you know, interrupt, how are you doing it? So how are you telling your clients and, and people that see you to do it? People, uh, well, for me, I can only use my uh, my own case as an example, but um, when I am in a situation and my old pattern pops up, that's like I walk into a room, let's say, and I'm meeting somebody and I and I feel their energy is kind of weird or off and I'm uncomfortable, my old pattern would be like, oh, there'd be some conversation in my head, you know, about it. And now I'm like, you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know what's going on. Just be nice. Be yourself. Protect yourself. That's another thing that I really do on the regular. I I make sure that I'm protected because if all matter is energy, 
and everything is energy. I'm picking up on your energy. You're picking up on mine. We're picking up on everybody's energy all the time. So we have to stay grounded ourselves and make sure we're protected because people are going to do what they're going to do. I can't control any of that, but I think we need to be aware and awake. And I'll tell you what, meditation is a game changer for that because all meditation really is, is about observing your thoughts. So I've been meditating. I learned to meditate when I was 19 and then did transcendental meditation when I was in my late twenties. And my husband and I meditate almost every single day. Um, do you do it together? Yeah. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll go. Okay. You'll go and you'll sit. And <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Are you ready? We do yoga okay. in the living room. And after yoga, we each have, okay, wait, do you get up in the morning and do yeah. like, is this the routine? Like it's yeah. first thing in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After our coffee club, okay. we have a coffee club chit chat, catch up, listen to the news, bum bum, upstairs, sh go get the yoga mats out, do yoga. And then we each have a spunk mat. Have you ever heard of a spunk mat? No. No, Kathy, I'm bringing all the weird today. Okay. So a spunk mat is, um, it looks like, uh, I don't know what size it would be. It's maybe like, I don't know, I don't know, like the size of a desktop, maybe smaller. And it's got <laughs> what looks like the bottom of golf shoes all over it. Kind okay. of a canvas material. It would be the size of your back, let's say. It's the size of your back. And these uh, little um, pricky things are meant to get to your meridian points in your body. So when you lie on it on your back, it's like you're getting a massage. It feels weird at first, okay, yes. but you get used to it really quickly. So I lie on a spunk mat while I'm doing my meditation. So I get a massage and I clear my head at the same so time. So you don't sit, you lie down. I lie down. I lie down with my knees elevated. That's my um, mm -hmm. position of choice. Although I'm going to um, I'm going to a meditation studio tomorrow just to have the experience. And I think they have little meditation chairs, which is fine. But Where are you going? The peace room. Oh, you are? I've yeah. heard a lot about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I want to have the experience. We're bringing in um, uh, Catherine Hull to do a coffee talk session because meditation has been a game changer for me too. To me, it's just like having a bank account and putting lots and lots and lots of good things in that bank account. And then when you need it, it's there to serve you. It's a funny thing because it is all energy again, but it does help to really notice what's going on in your life. How are you operating? What's happening with you? And it's really, it's helped me tremendously and my husband too. It, it offers clarity, eh? Do you do a guided meditation or you just... Sometimes or sometimes just quiet. Mm -hmm. I have a mantra, so I use my mantra. Okay. Um, but I love uh, Deepak Chopra and Oprah have a series um, and they bring it out free series every once in a while. And I always subscribe to it and he does a guided, but it's to set you up and then you use their mantra. So I try anything. Thing is, people don't like meditation and they say to me often, because I always recommend it, meditation is not for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, you just haven't found the meditation. Kathy, I, would, I, would, I was that person. <laughs> I was that person. What I was happened? that person um, because I, I felt, you know, I did, da I was a daily exercise. So I was physically active every day. I ate well. I took time for self-care. And so I always figured three out of four wasn't bad. I just didn't yeah. have time for the meditation. So, <laughs> you know, and then the more I sat in this chair and the more health practitioners I had sitting in where you're sitting and all of them came back to the fourth component of mindfulness meditation. And I figured... 
I've got three out of the four, but something's missing. Mm-hmm. And now if someone were to ask me, I would probably put that as the <laughs> that as the number one. Can I and have then, a hallelujah? Right, and it took, it took a while. Yeah. And I was very much of the, I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. And I was very much of the sitting down yeah. and in my head for probably the first month sitting there going, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it right. <laughs> I'm wasting my time. You know, and and it just I stayed I just stuck with it because I knew I I needed to shut off as you mentioned the thoughts in my head, mm-hmm. which were full of negativity and yep. were keeping me up. And, and so I was I was getting up in that you know that witching hour between two and four in the morning mm-hmm. when your brain is just it's on fire, mm-hmm. and I was desperate to shut it off. Aww. And the but the meditation allowed me to do that and allowed me to focus on the breath and to be able to come out and let and let the emotions and the feelings go right because I was going through as you were mentioning going down certain paths and going this doesn't align with yeah. me you know and that stomach and the alignment yeah. so yeah. so the meditation has been and I, and I will continue to say it has been the game changer yeah and it's finding what what works for each one of us because look if 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 it was that one thing suits everybody, we'd all be wearing the same pants and that just doesn't make sense. So we all have to find if, if it's, maybe it's walking in nature that's best for somebody. Maybe it's, for me, it's lying down on my spunk mat. <laughs> I'm a bit addicted to that. Uh, it could be, you know, it's whatever you make it, but find your, keep looking, keep looking to find your right thing. It's out there and it's important. And it's also important to understand that we're not trying to shut our thoughts off. We're just trying to give them some space, like just do you and I'll be back here. It's kind of like getting behind our thoughts in a way and having that focus on breath just allows us to let the thoughts come and go, do what they're going to do with no judgment. And, and it takes practice. But when you get to that place, like, oh, there you are again, you silly thing, you know, can't do anything about you right now. So I'm just going to go back to my breath and we'll be friends and it'll all be fine. But when you think about what you've already put in your bank account, congratulations, like, that's fantastic. How often will you meet with a client who is so stuck, hard in their ways, negative thinking? Never. Are they, it's not just, my client. because they're not coming to you. They're, they're not, not they're not no, at no. that, they're not at that stage. I don't, I look, I vet every person I coach. I don't coach just anybody because what I do is you may have noticed a little different and people have to understand this is where I come from. This is who I am. I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to go into your past and figure you out. That's a job for a psychiatrist. And I love psychiatry. It helped me to reframe my whole life. So I appreciate that. My job is today and going forward. So a lot of people, for the reasons you've explained, are not coachable. They don't want to change anything. They want it to, but they want the magic sauce. Right. They're, they continue to live in fear. Uh-huh. They continue to let their thoughts completely dominate everything. Yeah. And yet they're expecting that magic pill to somehow make them happy. Most people are looking for some magic. It's like for people who don't get good sleep, they're looking for some magic thing to happen where you have to make an effort to clean up your hygiene around sleep. That's what has to happen if you're going to get good sleep. So it's the same thing with what I do. If you haven't cleaned up your stuff enough to be ready to take on your next layer, then I'm not your person. And I'll go back to what I said. A lot of people aren't coachable. So I have, I really only take on five coach clients at a time. And they're all people who I'm so happy for and so in love with because I get to see them doing the work and getting the benefit. Okay. So what stage are people then coming to you? Is it like that final... 10%, 10%, you know, they've gotten like, well, like 80% of the work done and they're missing that final 20% well, often of appreciation. People who have, 
they have some idea they want to uh, create something in their life. They've done their personal work. They're usually people who are already already self-aware because self-awareness to me is the currency we need in the work that I do to really be solid leaders in the culture today because it is it's like gold. <laughs> it's not encouraged. And yet when you have self-awareness, it just changes everything. So I work with people who have that piece already going, who are willing to work with the ideas that I talk about, because I won't allow you to keep telling the same stories over and over again. You've got to surrender that. But if you choose to surrender it, I guarantee you a better story will come in. And then you can start telling that story. So I can work with people who are already in that mindset, but need a little support. Because again, you know, you work alone. It's hard mm -hmm. when you're trying to do this personal work and you get to a stage where you think, geez, what is my next thing? Maybe that person has, you know, an opportunity to help me expand my stuff or get clarity about something. Because that's one thing we do together is get absolute clarity about what you want. That's a big piece for people. When they've done their personal work and they're at a stage, I, I'm working right now with a woman who was a diplomat. She had so much going on in her life, like she lived all over the world. And now she's, she's just on fire to um, help women become more economically sort of stable and to uh, recognize that their dreams and desires are important. And she does it in her own way. So we're working together to get clarity about her next chapter. And, um, you know, working with, uh, like, I give her the exercise of what's one word that would describe what you're thinking you want to do one word, because the brain is always going with 50 million ideas, we need to pare it right down to get that clarity. So we can just focus on that next step. And out of that next step, the next step will unfold. We all, we're going through this process, right? We're, when we go through different stages and yeah. I'm listening to your story, right? And so you have, you know, the childhood and then you have like this growing years and, and usually the starting of the family and you find, you know, security in your career and your financial stability. One of the things that we mentioned before we started is, is some of the topics that you're, you're talking about. And you mentioned the word invisible. Mm-hmm. And I want to hit on that because, you know, you're, you're working with a woman right now who's traveled the world and has yeah. been in, as, as diplomat. And I'm like, that, that person has been seen. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people mm -hmm. who feel like their whole lives they've gone unseen. Absolutely. And particularly women. Particularly women. I generally work with women. And, and here's why. I believe women are the true leaders in the world. I love men. I adore my husband. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. But... Women are the leaders. We raise children. We show, you know, people how to treat us. Uh, we run households. We're like air traffic controllers, the things we're capable of doing. Um, but many women have been, not many, all in North America particularly, have been conditioned, I say conned, into thinking that they take care of everybody else before themselves. So, and then you're patted on the back when you're a friggin' super mom and a superhuman. And there's still no time for you, even though you're getting the award, there's still no time for you. And you're not going to say, well, now it's time for me because you've set it up so that everybody's dependent on you to take care of everything. Then you feel guilty and you never really feel seen, heard, valued or appreciated. And I come back to this idea of women feeling invisible because I think women have to find their voice. 
I think we're, we all have a lot that we can offer, especially older women. Older women have so much wisdom to share, and they, but they've done this job of raising their kids and being in their family, looking after their parents, taking care of the, looking after the house, blah, blah, blah. and they get to a point, it's like, well, what's, what is there for me exactly? Dr. Christian Northrup talks about menopause as you birthing yourself. And that to me is the truth. In midlife, when you've done the building, like acquiring your family and doing all the things, you are focused more on other people's needs than your own. But at some point, you have to create space for you. There has to be something for you. And enough complaining that I don't have time. Every one of us has 24 hours in a day. It's what are you going to do with that time? And what you're going to do is what's important to you. So then the question is, what do you want? And if what you want is to take care of everybody else's needs except yours, then keep doing what you're doing. But if what you want is to feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated, then we need to reassess what are your goals and how can we then start to give you voice to share in the world. And are you finding women are able to do this in 50 plus and, and, and pivot and anybody, change? Anybody can do it anytime, Leanne. It's just hard work. It's work worth doing, but it's hard work to shift how you see yourself, to shift your friends, to shift your mm. stuff. Can we talk about the friends? Because I do know, <laughs> because, you know, I, I do know this was a hot Hit topic a for you. Uh, no, but, and it was, it was one of those things because congratulations, you're doing, uh, you're a guest expert on City Line. Thank you. Yeah. And so, you know, they've been bringing you in. You've had interesting topics. And the last one was about friendships and, yeah. and almost the checking, going through the list. And sometimes yeah. you need to add, sometimes you definitely need to delete. What was the thought behind creating a segment on this? And why did you feel it was so important? Um, because it was something I had to do. And I did it. And it was hard. And it was work worth doing. Because the way I did it and the intention I did it with was, you know, if we talk about surrendering the stories that don't serve where you want to go, I had friends I'd known for decades and decades and decades. I didn't feel aligned anymore. I felt like, n not that I didn't love these people, but I couldn't find a way to have commonality. I couldn't find a way to feel comfortable. I was always working to kind of stay with the conversation or to make something that we had, make it up that we had in common. It just did not work. It wasn't anything personal about anybody else. It was me. I was growing and I was moving into a different situation. So the old situations just were no longer aligned. So I made a decision that I had to just kind of move on. And it was very difficult, but it was of the best things I've ever done. I did it with compassion. I still do. I mean, I still am in touch with friends I, I'm not close to. I still love them. It's nothing to do with anything like that. But what I needed to do was to clear out the stuff that was holding me back from me attracting the friends that were aligned. And it's interesting that when I did that, and I'm going back five or six years now, when I did that over time and the process was just maybe like I wasn't so available anymore. And you know what I mean? I just let it naturally go because it, I didn't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. It's not about that. And if I was to sit down and if anybody asked me, I would say, it's not about you. It's about me. I'm growing in a different way. And I just have to that's do like what I have to That's like a breakup though. Like, totally. like I'm thinking like, that's like a breakup, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and the guy's sitting there going, it's not you, it's me. Right. You know, but, it, but that is, that is the truth. And, and even in the situations, and that happened to me on a few occasions when I was younger with men, it's not 
you, it's me. It was true. It was them because they wanted something else. And it's true in this case, I wanted something else. I didn't want to have to keep doing maintenance on something that was not filling me up. When I, here's the question though. I was making sure other people's needs were being met. I was looking after them the best I could at the expense of my emotional, physical, you know, all my wellness. So how does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. When I let it go mm-hmm. and I started to um, get back in my lane, I felt even more powerful because I was courageous and I attracted relationships and friendships that are aligned with where I am. Did you have any pushback? Was there pushback from some people? Because I'm right now I'm, I'm thinking of a listener who's, who's thinking of this and and might have a friend that's toxic or mm. uh, not not abusive, right? Not, not yeah. in, in that sense, but um, has a almost like a control over right, them. Right. So I would think you know that would be incredibly difficult, difficult to try to break free from. Yes, but you're just not so available. All of a sudden, oh, I've got to go get my hair done. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or you have to sit down with the person and say, "Look, I love you. I really do." I'm just growing in a different way and I'm not going to be as available as I have been. And I'm really sorry if that hurts your feelings because I think you're a great person, but I have to focus on what I'm doing. How quickly, how quickly did you find as, as long lasting relationships were dissolving in, in a sense of just not being as available that you started to sense and feel that new relationships were forming or that you had a different energy coming in? It was not that long, actually. It was not that long because my focus was different. If you go back to this idea that your thoughts and are creating some, every thought you have is creating something in your future. So I began to really feel good about my decision, recognizing that I had used courage. It was not easy, but I had to stay focused on what I wanted. What I wanted was friendships that were aligned. I wanted to feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. And I wasn't feeling it in those relationships. I was feeling like I had too much work to do all the time. So I couldn't just be myself and period. So, and it's, again, it's not anybody's fault. It was just the way things grew, the way I grew, I guess. And uh, so it was maybe within a year, I just, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, 100%. So, and I still have those people in my life to some extent, still love them. Did you get any response on doing a segment about it on national television? Um well, I had response from <laughs> from people who were going through it at the time, not through with me, but were going through it themselves mm-hmm. and knew that the person they were trying to move away from would see the segment. And I said, well, then I'm, I'm very happy I could do the work for you. <laughs> very happy I could reinforce send the what attachment, you're trying to do. <laughs> send the attachment email. <laughs> Watch I this. Mean, it change, look, if change was easy, everybody would do it. I call it shifting because my brain hates the sound of the word change. Nobody wants to change anything. We like safety. We like comfort. But we'd when like you to sh- change others. And that's the, oh, we'd that's like the, we, we would wish like yeah. I just, if I could just change, just change it a little right. bit. Yeah. And, and I love coming back to you. Imagine how hard it is to change yourself. How on earth do you possibly think you, you can change You cannot change another person. That's the, that's why I go back to this thing of the only thing you have control over are your thoughts. So if you shift your thoughts about somebody else, it's a whole new ballgame. If you shift from always criticizing them to finding what you appreciate about them, that's a different way to play. And you'll find that it's easier. Okay. How did you break down? Because I want to talk about the book. 
inspiration in action. Mm-hmm. This was really the start. So when you were seeing your avatar of, yeah. of the woman who you were writing to, yeah. what was essential for you to get out in this writing? Uh, well, I, I was just bursting at the seams to share what I'd learned in that research group I had with the ladies. Um, I had eight, I came up with eight principles when I was with them and I've shared uh, gratitude, courage, surrender and release, kindness and compassion with you so far. And then we'll talk about forgiveness because forgiveness is so important to our well-being. This is all, of course, still with the definition of what is happiness in my world. Um, Buddha said that holding on to anger, bitterness, and resentment is a little like taking poison every day, expecting the other guy to die. It doesn't work. So forgiveness... I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's powerful. It really is. Buddha said, holding on to anger, bitterness, and resentment is a little like taking poison every day, expecting the other guy to die. And I'm loosely quoting. Um But when you think about that and you think about the negative thoughts you might have if you've been harmed by somebody and how you might feel about them and you go over the story and you tell your friends and you talk about it in your family, you talk, you're just taking poison every day, expecting them to be suffering. Oprah Winfrey one day was so funny. She said, there I was in Chicago on the Golden Mile walking down the street and I look over on the other side of the street. I see this girl from, I think it was grade nine, who gave me a hard time and there she was just laughing her head off, having a great time. And I thought, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? Because all these years I've held this, you know, thing about her and there she was laughing and enjoying her life. And I thought, oh, well, who's, who's suffering over here? But that's a beautiful example of what happens when we when we choose to hold on to bitterness, anger, and resentment. See, again, we're kind of encouraged to do that we're kind of, because our ego loves to be right. The ego loves three things, right, to be right, to feel special, or to feel miserable. It loves all those things. And when all we focus on is getting those needs met, we'll never be happy because we will constantly be searching to be right, to feel special, or to be miserable. When we interrupt those thoughts with other ideas, such as, if I've been harmed by this person, how can I find forgiveness for them, not for them, but for them, for me? Because you don't have to forget what happened. You don't have to let go of what happened, but you need to let go of it for your well-being. You need to find a way to forgive that so that you can clear space for something better to come in. You know, they talk about, um, I've heard this a few times, um, when kids have been murdered or killed in some situation, and the parent will say, well, I, and I forgive the person who did that. And you're like, how can, how, can you, how can you forgive that person? Well, because I don't know what was going on with them. And me holding on to that is not bringing my son back or daughter back. I have to forgive them in order for me to find some peace. And that's really what it's all about. When I was about eight, right around the time that I did the children's radio show, I was molested sexually by the paper boy. And it was a horrible experience for an eight-year-old who ultimately thought it was my, I thought it was my fault. I thought I let him on. I thought I was eight. Anyway, so that impacted me through my life until I realized that was a kid who didn't know he was doing whatever he did. And I found forgiveness for that person in the relationship that I have. When were you able to 
talk about it or to... When I, when I went to therapy, I talked because I couldn't, I didn't even tell my parents. I was so, I was filled with shame. Of course, that's what happens. Filled with shame. And I felt like I had, it, it had been my fault. So, um, but when I went to see a therapist, I told him what happened and we reframed it in that, you know, I was a child. It really was, I was an innocent victim of something and I had to forgive that person in order to really find freedom for myself. So that's to me is like a perfect example Mm. of why you let it go, because I don't want that story impacting my happiness in any way. It has no because place. it did for for oh many yeah yeah years. yeah because I didn't know any I didn't know any better and that's the thing, Maya Angelou said, when we know better we do better when we don't know better we can't do better, and that's why nagging doesn't work in relationships that's why we don't need to nag people know what's going on but when you're just like ah, wah, 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 that's just like if they don't know better they gotta they gotta figure it out for themselves in order to do better. So you could have a conversation and have a conversation, but nagging, not so helpful. Hmm. I'm like, I'm like a sponge right now. <laughs> I'm like just soaking, you know, and, and, and how much forgiveness though really plays. I, it, it wouldn't have been my top topic when you're like happiness. And then on the yeah. other side of that equation is forgiveness. Of course. But, but think about what I'm saying. Happiness is inside me. It isn't dependent on me going to Disney World or winning the lottery. It is about how I operate as a person. It's very serious business, actually, happiness. But when you put all these well, pieces together... Well, of course it together, is, because people will pay a lot of money to find that magic happy pill. Uh-huh. Right? Like you talked about... That doesn't Disney, work. Right. But, <laughs> I mean, we see this as... Um, it's like this gold... The pursuit. Like this yeah. trophy, right? Yeah, like yeah, at the yeah. top of this, and there's like the light shining in on it. Right. You know, and we'll risk uh, drugs... Sure. <laughs> ...pleasure. Yeah. All of these things to be able to think that that's going to bring us And that's to that how level. we're wired. That's what our... So that's why I talk about interrupting, constantly interrupting your thoughts, because science now tells us that we build new neural pathways in our brain by interrupting the thoughts and and creating a different way to go. So I've had to work hard to do this, as you can tell, but I feel so rewarded in it because finding forgiveness is all of these things I'm telling you are superpowers. Forgiveness is your superpower. You have it. You're just maybe not using it because it's easier and you're told it's it's okay to be resentful. It's okay to be angry. It's okay. You know, and I'm talking chronically, like I think complaining is actually a very good thing because complaining like temporarily, shows you what you need to look at. (laughs) It's really just saying, I need to shift something here. But when you're a chronic complainer or you become a toxic person in a relationship, that's just not helpful. That's not helping you and it's not helping me as your friend. I just become a repository for your garbage, which is not okay. And then if you think about the person on the receiving end in a toxic relationship, you're being victimized by that too. So you need to find your voice. Going back to your piece about being invisible. When we're not standing in our truth, we are being invisible. When we don't recognize our value, when we don't see that we are important and we matter, then it's okay for us to feel invisible. But we need to be bold in this, in this climate today. We need mm-hmm. to stand up in our truth. So we've got forgiveness. And then the last piece I talk about is having healthy boundaries. 
So once you go, these pieces all go together like Lego. Mm -hmm, So the last piece, having healthy boundaries, once you've created all of these shifts, um, you put boundaries in place to protect the gold that you've mined for in your life. Because when you're a person who is appreciative and all the things you talked about, you know, somebody walking into a room, you know, bringing in their good energy and people saying, oh, yeah. Um. (laughs) I mean, you got to be careful because... People will do look at me like, what are you on? Or why? What's that? Or they don't take it seriously. That is about them, by the way. I don't take it personally at all. But I have healthy boundaries so that I protect myself. You can't go across that line with me anymore. You used to be able to. You could walk over me anytime you wanted. But now I recognize my value and I realize I'm not available for that anymore. You can't disrespect me. I won't tolerate it. I may not say it to you Mm -hmm. in the moment, but we won't be having another conversation. So you just have to have protection. That's what I was talking about with respect to friends and editing your friends list. It isn't about eliminating friends. It can be friends that you stay in contact with, but you just put a boundary in the relationship. And there are certain topics that you just won't, you won't do. I remember being in a conversation with somebody not long ago and the conversation got into kind of a gossipy thing. And I just said, I don't know where it came from. I said, I can't have this conversation. And I thought, well, good for me. (laughs) We stopped, we readjusted and we kept going. Mm -hmm. But that person knew I'm not available to do that because what I learned, and I used to be really good at gossip a long time ago, I was really good at it. It's poison. And it harms the person you're talking about, and it harms you too. So I don't want that for anybody. I want abundance, beauty, joy, love, peace, prosperity, and wellness. Gossip isn't in there. So that's where my boundary is. I'm very careful about protecting what I've done to mine for my own happiness. So those are the things really that comprise happiness for me then. And and courage being one of the things that we need so much of because we're not fed back in our culture that doing what I've just described to you is a good idea. So I wrote a book about courage and I included stories of about 25 other people talking about their experience and how they rose, how they survive, how they thrive with courage. The best place to find the books would be where? Well, I'm just in the process of... Um, because I printed them myself. I did. <laughs> I'm a self-publisher. It was the cra- craziest yeah. ride ever. But Amazon is my new best friend. And so I'm just, uh, my first book is now available in print on ebook. It's also on Audible, my first book is. And my second will be available soon in print on Amazon is now an ebook there. And uh, I don't know if I'll have an Audible version of that one yet. But, but you can find a ton of information on your website. Oh, like yes. Like it is there. So kathydonovan.com. Yes. Yep. Um, there's some, you know, you, you click on it and there you are just like, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> this is me. This is it. Uh, and, and it's wonderful. I think you, you tune in and you automatically smile when you open up oh, the page. That's so good. you've Thanks. done a great job. I think it representing what people are going to get when they come to you. And I know you're doing a lot of speaking now. Yeah. Um, I know like, cause I've already gone way over time. Um, you're working uh, with Wellin. Is that what it's? Yeah. The Wellings is a new concept in 55 plus community living, very aligned with my values. So I'm working with those guys. I work with Shepherd's Fashions doing a weekly coffee talk segment uh, geared toward women 50 plus, generally speaking. And uh, I have a third book coming called You Look Good for Your Age and Other Things We Should Never Say Again. 
Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) You caught me right off the top on that one. That is fantastic. Uh, Kathy, I I love the time that we spent. I mean, I'm, I'm, my brain is, you know, my thoughts are are trying to mix themselves up and and trying to soak in all of the wonderful tips and and information that you had for us. It was a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I feel the same. I'm I'm glad to know that when you did walk into the newsroom and you were always smiling and stuff, like that's just who you are. Yeah, that's who that, I am. that was who you are. And hopefully, I didn't cross the boundaries of going. Why is she so smiley all the time? I really appreciate it. I appreciate everyone who is tuning in and listening and uh, downloading the podcast. It's been wonderful to see the growth each and every day. So please continue. And if you can, everyone's been telling me. Have you told people to go like and actually like comment and subscribe to really help the podcast grow? But appreciate those that are are listening. And thank you once again for listening to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. As always, a pleasure to bring you some great information and Kathy, kathydonovan.com because I know a lot of you are kind of going, where can I find more of this? <laughs> K-A-T-H-I-E. I spell my name weird too. I don't know. It's in my show notes. Okay. I'll have, I'll have your stuff. You. I'm going to have your links. I'll God have everything there you. for everyone. Have a great day, everyone. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.